0: But kind of starting out in, in that baited camera survey, we ended up having 68 bucks on that preseason survey. And, and that again, this is 2,500 acres here. Moving forward into those passive cameras, October, November, December surveys, uh, we ended up re detecting about 70% of those. But the cool part was we actually picked up 43 new bucks on those passive trail cameras that we never had on, on baited surveys. <laughs>
1: Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and we got another excellent episode lined up for you guys. On the last one, we kind of kicked off our, our deer season preparation content. We talk about map scouting with Andrew Maxwell. And this week, we're going to focus on trail cameras. Uh, we're bringing on Dr. James Johnson of the University of Georgia. Uh, to discuss his extensive trail camera research that he's been working on for several years, uh, looking at baited versus unbaited trail camera use, uh, the information you can gather from your trail camera data, and and how to put that information to use to improve your odds of success this fall. So be sure to stick around for that. I know you guys are going to enjoy that. Uh, but before we get started, this week's episode is brought to you by NDA sponsor Moultrie Mobile. If you haven't checked out their Edge series cellular trail cameras yet, uh, you need to. The Edge has the ability to connect to multiple cellular networks, so you you no longer have to choose between AT&T or a Verizon camera. Uh, this camera will automatically detect and choose the strongest signal. It has up to 12 months battery life. And my favorite feature, uh, it has built-in memory. So you can say goodbye to buying and formatting expensive SD cards. Uh, no more forgetting to put the card back in the camera or or having formatting issues with the cards. Uh, it's The memory is all built in, uh, and you can get all that at a retail price for, for right at 100 bucks. So if that interests you, be sure to check out their cameras and the Moultrie Mobile app at com. And if you haven't heard, we have partnered with Mark Kenyon and the Meat Eater crew for three working for wildlife tour events this summer and fall. Uh, The events are open to anyone who wants to come out and volunteer, and so we'd we'd love to see each and every one of you guys attend one or more of these events. Uh, We're going to spend a day in Idaho, a day in Mississippi, and a day in Kentucky getting our hands dirty and proving public land habitat for deer and other wildlife. Uh, The first of these events is in Idaho, That kicks off on Saturday, July 29th. Uh, Then we'll be in Mississippi September 23rd and Kentucky on October 14th. Uh, To learn more about these events or to get registered for an event, you can head over to our website at DeerAssociation.com slash WFW. That's DeerAssociation.com slash WFW. Uh, One more thing before we jump on the phone with uh, James. If you're listening to this within the first day or two it's released, uh, we're wrapping up our free giveaway for the Alps Outdoors Motive Trail Camera Backpack. Uh, at the, we're going to do that at the end of the week. We'll, we'll close it out on Sunday, June 18th, and then I'll draw a winner on Monday. So be sure to get your name in the hat if you haven't already. All you have to do to enter is head over to our website, DeerAssociation.com slash Alps. And enter your information in the giveaway form. Doesn't cost you anything. And again, we'll draw a winner for that on Monday, Monday, June 19th. And with that, guys, we're going to jump on the phone here with James Johnson to talk trail cams. Well, hey, James, uh, before we dive into the, the topic of trail cameras and trail camera surveys can you uh, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and maybe what led you to uh, become a wildlife biologist and uh, a continuing education program director?
0: Yeah, absolutely, uh, Brian. Uh, thanks for having me on and, and inviting me on. I've enjoyed following the podcast so far. Um, yep, so I am the um, continuing education program director at the Warnell School of Forestry. Um, I also provide courses within the continuing education program. So we do wildlife management based courses. Um, um, I have deer management courses, camera trapping, food plotting, uh, you name it, along with, um, other instructors at Wornell and we provide, uh, you know, all types of healthy forests, uh, how to, how to control bugs in your, in your pine stands and timber tax. And so it's a, um, sort of a, a complete, uh, a forestry school, uh, continuing education program. Um, but I, uh, I'm also a member of the the UGA Deer Lab. Uh, I've, I've been with the with, with the Deer Lab for about ten years now, um, and so I'll just kind of take us back to the beginning for for how I got kind of drawn into uh, uh, the life of studying deer and and running trail cameras. Um, uh, so I grew up on my my family's farm here in North Georgia, spending pretty much all of my time as a kid in the outdoors. Fell in love with nature, hunting, fishing, camping, all that good stuff. Um, I was nine or 10 years old or so, and I eventually taught my dad and taking me deer hunting. Um, dad was a big bird hunter. Um, so we'd sat dove fields before and, 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 and those types of hunts. Um, but he was, he'd rather be working quail dogs or, uh, watching bird dogs hunt, uh, in, in a more active pursuit of game, I guess you could say, um. So we didn't even own a a scoped rifle in in the house, but we had my my grandfather's 8 millimeter German Mauser that he took off of the German supply train in World War II. And I've done some target shooting with it and um, felt comfortable with it. So we went and sat on the edge of a little wetland swampy area uh, on the farm one morning, had had a couple of does, a family group come out on the edge of a cattle pasture, 80 or 100 yards or so. So I eventually, you know, stayed myself on a tree and I think I took, they let me take about five or six shots before I finally connected and we got it done and put some meat in the freezer. Um, but I was completely hooked after that and and it was kind of on from there. Um, my parents ended up buying a, uh, um, one of those original, probably the only trail camera on the market back then, but it was one of those Moultrie black box, um, (laughs) batteries, you know? uh, Oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, we didn't even have a way to, to even look at it. And I can't remember if this was the thirty-five millimeter version or if it had an SD card, but we didn't have a way to look at it. So mom would take me out to get these things um, developed after I'd, I'd run them around on the farm a little bit. So it was like you know Christmas for me getting a stack of printed photos back to go through. And I still got uh, a, a photo album here in my office um, from thirty years ago from all my original trail camera. uh uh, hunting days and um so so it's really been a part of me since the beginning um but it wasn't really until later in life that I started putting the connection together between hunting and conservation and and what that means for you know watching over these wildlife populations for for all future generations to enjoy and benefit from and so what was a hobby for me eventually turned into this this obsession uh Studying wildlife biology and conservation kind of led me to where I I am today. Um, And so, you know, fast forward 20 years, if you want me to go ahead and get into it, Brian, um, talking about uh, the the Ph.D. project I ended up on. Fast forward 20 years or so, and I found myself working on a a Ph.D. project studying deer with trail cameras and just had my name written all over it. And so the research project was funded by the Georgia DNR and was co-advised by Dr. Carl Miller and Dr. Richard Chandler at at the Warnell School of Forestry here. Uh, We had an amazing team to work with, David Osborne in the deer lab, Dr. Mike Cherry, Dr. Mike Connor down there at the Jones Center. Um, But the primary objective for the research uh, project I was working on was to develop a new camera survey technique. Um, and this was a technique that we wanted to be able to conduct without using bait, and so we wanted to survey deer and figure out things like uh, how many deer are in a, in a specific area, of sex ratios, um, you know, buck to doe uh, uh, ratios, fawn recruitment, all of these important components that you need um, when responsibly managing deer populations on public land from from the DNR's perspective and sort of help them make informed management decisions. Um, And and to do all that without using bait, uh, and I can explain why that's kind of the important feature here of of the research project that I was working on. Um, So we've had the the baited camera survey, uh, the original baited camera survey developed by Dr. Harry Jacobson's team in the 90s. I think that paper was published around 97 or so. Um, But that's been... uh, Pretty much it when it comes to using cameras and surveying deer populations. Um, we had some improvements on that original method and, and some some tweaks to it. Um, but for the most part, uh, that, that's really all we've had with cameras. We have other ways to to survey deer populations and figure out these these parameters. Um, you know, we can dart deer, put GPS collars on them, but but cameras really provide us with a low cost. Of, uh, uh, sort of the least invasive method. You know, we're not we're not injecting deer with a bunch of drugs and and handling them and that, and that kind of thing. So we are um, sort of monitoring them without disturbing them in their sort of natural uh, pattern. Um, so for this project, I, I ended up moving to uh, South Georgia, um, where I had several research sites located down there. My home base being uh, the Jones Center Itchaway, which is just an ecological research site down there in Baker County. Uh, sort of the extreme southwest Georgia uh, p- part of the state. It's about 29,000 acres of longleaf pine savannas and hardwood bottoms on on the Flint River. Um, just a really amazing place. And um, so to, to to develop this new camera method, we needed to do a couple of things. We needed to 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 run unbaited trail cameras, um, which from here on I'm just going to call uh, passive cameras. And so. Um, uh, and, and by passive, we're basically just not using an attractant. And so they're just sitting out there passively monitoring the deer herd. Uh, we place them on deer trails, funnel points, uh, movement corridors, anywhere that we thought we were going to increase our chances uh, of catching deer on their feet, um, moving around the landscape. <sighs> um, but we also needed something to compare this to, you know, we don't know how many deer are out there or what those parameters look like. And so, um, we decided to throw a few more at it. And obviously, the, the original baited camera survey is going to be one of them. We also did, um, did some, some spotlight surveys, uh, um, for pickup trucks and, um, ended up darting a bunch of deer with, with on these research sites to, to really refine the, uh, the, the camera method and our estimates. And so we developed 2,500 acre camera grids. And so, um, um, we ended up with four of them down there. We established uh, a baited camera survey within that camera grid, which is um, basically we set out one camera per 100 acres. Um, That's a little higher than the original research uh, done by Jacobson. If if you want, Brian, we can break down baited camera surveys and and kind of talk about how to operate those.
1: Yeah, we can go there.
0: All right. Um, So typically you're going to set up these, these baited cameras one per 100 acres you can go higher you can go lower we don't really need to dig into the weeds of of what that does uh, to your estimates Um, but typically one camera per 100 acres uh, you want to find a place where deer are going to be traveling you don't want to kind of put it somewhere where deer just aren't going to be able to find it but we'll run i like to run corn for about one week prior to to actually hanging up cameras and start taking those pictures um but once we've got everything established, the bait's running, um, we'll set those cameras up and run them for about two weeks. And after that, you go back, collect all your cameras and cards, keep replenishing that, that bait over two weeks, and go back and collect all your cameras and cards. And then you're going to count all of your bucks, those and phones, and uniquely identify all of your, your bucks um, that you've got on camera. And we can ID them by their antler characteristics. And so, so kind of what what form are their, are their antlers taken, and that's kind of how you differentiate them. But there are some issues, you know, with with this camera survey, uh, and and the big reason the Georgia DNR wanted to move away from using bait. Um, there's a, there's a couple of reasons there. Uh, obviously, we're going to reduce the cost of, of camera surveys if we can get rid of that less manpower, not having to buy corn, and we've also got you know diseases CWD knocking on our door here uh, in, in neighboring states and. And so you know, for them, not having a bunch of deer sticking their noses together in a corn pile is going to be the, the better option there uh, if the time comes that they're going to
1: have
0: to, to kind of move away from baiting. So that's kind of the whole idea behind the project and, and trying to develop it. So we set up these uh, 2500 acre camera grids, uh, ran baited cameras, ran that baited survey in uh, September, and we can get you know we can get into this now, Brian, if you want some of the issues and, and, and other things to consider when you run these beta camera surveys and and what you're really ending up with as far as, you know, the numbers you're getting back from it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And so, so there's a couple of issues, well, let's go ahead and, and just finish, you know, once you've got all your pictures back and you've counted all your bucks, does and fawns, and you uniquely ID all of your bucks, it's basically just some simple math from there to estimate does and fawns. And so you've got, your total number of buck pictures. So how many bucks did you count in all your photos? And then you know how many bucks made those photos. And so you got your ID buck, your, your unique buck list, and you got the number of, of photographs that, that those bucks produced. And from there, you can do some simple conversions. You know, you got your number of does, but you don't know how many does uh, actually made those photographs. But if we make some assumptions here, like equal visitation rates, so our bucks and does... Uh, we're just going to assume that bucks and does are coming to these baited sites at the same rates, and we call those, you know, visitation rates. If that holds true, then we can do some simple math. We know how many bucks it took to make this many pictures. How many does did it make to take this many pictures? And We can do some simple math there to figure that out. Um, but again, you know, equal visitation rates is a rabbit hole on its own and um, doesn't always hold true, and so... Sometimes, you know, the, these estimates that you're getting aren't going to be perfect, and it never is an estimation. That's why we call it an estimate. Uh, but there, there's other things at play here. Fawn recruitment's tough to figure out before deer season. They're young, they're not really coming to the bait piles like uh, mature does and things like that. Um, we also don't know how much area we're surveying. You know, we've got kind of an idea, but the area is just based on how many cameras we have out per acre. And so, are we pulling deer in from outside of that, sort of on the on the very edge of our property line where we've got those cameras out? How far are we reaching? But at the end of the day it it doesn't really matter for 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 most of us. Um, it's nice to kind of know what our deer density is and, and and all that good stuff. But really, we can use this to sort of index things, and we can say, okay, we let's replicate this survey next year. Um, We're going to harvest this many does based on what we're seeing right now. You know, these are our target bucks. We're going to look for all that good stuff and come back and see, you know, if we replicate exactly what we did the year before, same site, same time of year, we're going to get a pretty good idea of a trend there. And we do that for several years. We can start seeing what our sex ratios look like based on, you know, the, the decisions that we made the year before and kind of moving forward. So I think that's kind of the, the, the the benefits of, of running these types of surveys and you get to catalog all of your bucks that are there in the summer. Yeah. Um,
1: a quick, quick question no, on that. Has, has has anyone done a, a study or research like where they've done one of these trail camera surveys in a known Absolutely. number population?
0: And, and that, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a great question because that's really what you need. And that's what we don't have here when we're out, you know, when we're, Doing this research project, we're kind of throwing darks at a dartboard. We don't really know exactly what what our target number is, and and how close are we? Which survey is giving us the the, the truest answer? Um, but uh, I believe Jacobson and them did they they tested this uh, survey method and they found I think they were running about one camera per hundred sixty acres or so, and, and they found it to be fairly close. And and there are some reasons why. We see inflated numbers. Um, you start running really high, dense, high density uh, uh, camera grids, like one camera per 50 acres, and things start to fall apart a little bit. You've got does are going to have slightly smaller home, home ranges than than the bucks, and so you can you can inflate those doe estimates by by kind of deviating from what they laid out in that original survey. But uh, again, at the end of the day. I think we're, we're, we're really using this as a way to sort of index things and, and not right. really a true estimate. Um, you know, we can, we can go out in the woods and we can see, you know, for ourselves, are there too many deer on the landscape? What, what is the, the, you know, what does the forest look like? What are my food plots looking like? We can put excluder cages. We can couple this with uh, all types of other observation data. Uh, hunter observation data, you know, all, all this good stuff, and 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 I think using it as kind of this holistic management program is just kind of one piece of the puzzle. Um, but there have been some studies to get to get back to your question there. There there have been some studies that have done these, um, and and for the most part, it, it's pretty close. Um, and and it, it, things are a little different when you're in a high fence um, and, and you have no known uh, structure, deer herd structures, and that kind of thing. There's there's no movement from outside of your pens and and that kind of thing. So you still kind of run into this issue of how much area are you actually surveying um, when when you do this? Um, Right. And so, um, so kind of, kind of moving forward from that, um, you know, we, we, we ran those before deer season on these study sites. And um, we also established our passive cameras or so unbaited cameras. And, and we ran twice as many of those. And so about one camera per 50 acres um, um, because we weren't using bait. So we're not attracting deer to them. So again, um, we, we want to try to find the locations, target deer trails and movement corridors and and, and habitat transitions and things like that, where we're going to try to try to capture the, the most deer that we can on our feet. Um, so at one point... During this study, I had a little little over 300 cameras in the field at once, um, and so I was I was run pretty ragged at that point. I had a uh, I had some technicians helping out on the project, um, but but all in all, we ended up um, collecting over uh, 500,000 or so pictures of wildlife and, and several hundred thousand pictures of deer. Um, so we had a lot of work to do to, to get through all of this and get all this data entered and. Uh, you know, um I started kind of second guessing my, my my life choices at <laughs> that <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: you know one one property we were running uh, cameras on. we followed what the manager there was was already doing, and he was running twenty eight dated cameras on about a four thousand acre uh, piece of property. And we ended up identifying I think it was around two hundred and twenty bucks total on on that 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 four thousand acre property uh, just in that two week survey. And so you know I really pushed uh my, my trail camera passion to, to it <laughs> down there and uh you know you it, it, it's it's one thing that it's a unique small property with 20 or 30 bucks but when you're looking at 20 to 30 just uh uh 20 to thirty two and a half year old basket rack eight points that you've got to tell apart i mean you you absolutely it, it you'll you'll go crazy after a while um <laughs> carrying on like that but um so eventually, you know, we, we ended up uh, developing this model. Uh, I, I created an app for the for the DNR to use. They don't really have to see the spatial modeling that's going on under the hood there. They can just kind of upload their data, and the app will crunch the numbers for them and and, and spit those estimates out. And we found decent agreement between all, all of our surveys. Um, I, I think the beta camera survey is, is kind of on the higher end. I, I think it inflates estimates a little bit, especially when it comes to you know, that deer per square, square mile number that we're chasing, uh, just because we don't really know the extent of our, of our survey area. Right. Um, yeah. So,
1: so, so, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna, just going to say, yeah, I mean, I can, I can definitely understand that because, you mm-hmm. know, even here where I'm at, I only have 15 acres, but, you know, I, I can put out a corn pile and, and a camera on it and, you know, over the course of the season, I, I might see, you know, 10, 10, 12 different bucks. Yeah, right. on that 15 acres. But I obviously those, those 10 or 12 bucks aren't living on my right 15 there. acres. Yeah. yeah exactly. Right. So,
0: so that's kind of why we did the, went the spatial modeling route because it, it really lets us, um, get a better idea of, of how much area these deer are actually using. And we can use that in, in our, in our passive camera model. So that's why we deployed, um, we we captured about 30 deer on these sites and, and deployed GPS collars. And then we really, you know, you can estimate home ranges from cameras and it's fun to do that, but, but to really to, to hone down on it, um, you know, GPS collars are going to be telemetry data is going to be the, the, the route to go. Um, and so we, we did use all of that to kind of inform this passive camera model. You know, we said, you know, these deer have this, this, you know, they're using this much area during this time of year kind of thing. Um, and so it kind of lets us take it to a, a more statistically complex, uh, uh approach b- versus the, versus the, the original beta camera survey. Um, I then went off and, and, and ran these in, uh, I, I took a postdoc position with Warnell and, and, um, ran these on several different WMAs in Georgia, um, uh, 2000 acre, uh, camera grids, uh, in several different regions just to see how this thing was going to operate in the wild, get it off of our, our study sites in South Georgia and, and kind of take it and, and throw everything at it, you know, all different types of habitats and, and, and it seemed to, it seemed to work pretty well. Um, you know, not, nothing's going to be perfect and there's still more work that can be done. <laughs> so, um, but, but, but we're getting there. Um. But you know, we can. Uh, I can kind of hone down on some of the research that that we're really here to talk about uh, um, today, and, and kind of what I've learned down there from from running trail cameras and and, and what kind of other other uh, research ideas that I've chased with the data that we were collecting down there.
1: Yeah, yeah. As because, as far as the 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 like the passive cameras, were they? I mean, did you still like? Were you gritting out? these areas and and putting one camera, you know, per grid square, but just, I guess, trying to hone in on the the best location within that.
0: Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so I basically would just create a fishnet grid over the property. And so you have just a bunch of, a bunch of grid cells with a center point. Um, And then within each of those, those grid cells. um, So, you know, 50 acres a piece, um, I would have a buffer around the very center and I would search that buffer for deer trails. So it wasn't just going to the center of each of those fifty-acre blocks and and placing a camera. It, it was actively searching for uh, the most optimal uh, uh, place to actually put a camera.
1: Yeah, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, okay. Um, Good. And then, did you? vary the camera settings i guess between baited and unbaited what what did that yeah, look like yeah,
0: absolutely and so um and, and that's a good question the uh, the baited camera surveys we're typically running about five minutes um delay times um, you can do 10 minute delay times um, you're still going to end up typically getting uh, all the bucks and, and, the, and the data that you're, you're going to need uh, but for the passive cameras you know, we drop these down to about a 10 second delay um you know, if I had, um, if we were running a lot fewer than that, I, I may have even turned that delay off, um, just given that they are passive cameras and, and you're just catching them on deer trails, but, um, for the sake of, of not really overloading us and being able to actually finish, uh, uh the research project, <laughs> we, uh, we did push it out to about 10 seconds there on those passive cameras and, and still seem to seem to do pretty well, um you know, every now and then you get a doe or, or a buck would, would bed up in front of your passive camera and you just sit there with a hundred pictures of a deer moving her head back and forth. Um, but, but overall it, it did work pretty well down to about 10 seconds.
1: Okay. Gotcha. Did, I guess, did you still end up with on average a lot more photos on the, on the baited cameras than yeah, the unbaited? Yeah, or, yeah. yeah uh, for
0: sure. Um, you know, at least twice as many baited cameras, even at five minutes versus 10 seconds. Um, so, um, yeah, absolutely. You, using any kind of attractant is definitely going to sort of skyrocket your, 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 your photo count there. Um, and, and we ran those passive cameras from, you know, and, and so just comparing the two week, uh, baited camera survey, five minute intervals versus a, a three month. So October, November, December, um, so I pretty much ran those passive cameras throughout the deer season, um. Uh, and so just kind of look at it this way, you know, uh, um, half as many baited cameras at five minute intervals versus twice as many passive cameras at 10 second intervals. Uh, it still ended up with about twice as many, uh, baited camera images. Um, wow. yeah. So you really do rack up the photo count. Um, yeah, and we had single two week surveys producing over twenty thousand pictures. <laughs> so just absolutely a, a, a grind uh, entering all, all of this data um, and a big shout out to the technicians that that were there with me along the way. Um, uh, yeah. but, but yeah. yeah, like I said, you know there's the, we we ran those preseason baited camera surveys, and then we we followed that with our passive camera surveys throughout the deer season, trying to find that optimal period. And you can run. Uh, you know, well, the, the issue with fawn recruitment, which is really what the Georgia DNR is after, and and it's tough to get that number from a beta camera survey, especially before deer season, because your fawns just aren't coming to size, so you're usually underestimating. You don't really know what your, what your recruitment numbers look like, so how many new deer are going to enter the population uh, based on those camera surveys, but you can run those after deer season as well, and... um and, and and you usually get more activity from those fawns. They're going to be acting a little more like a, a an adult deer at that point. They're going to be hitting those bait piles. But then you run into the issue of you know you get a single fawn coming coming by herself. You know, is that a yearling? Is that a fawn? You know, what, what am I really looking at here? Right. And so it, it 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 adds some complexity on on either end trying trying to really get that recruitment number.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now. So, yeah. Hmm. Now, at any no, point, any point were, were was you running, um, these, these baited trail camera sites and passive cameras in the same area during the same time span or was, was,
0: yes, we comp- did. Um, there was one season there where we were putting out passive cameras, uh, around the same time as, as baited cameras. Uh, didn't do a whole lot with that data. Um, felt like it kind of biased the, the way deer are going to operate on the landscape a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. and so if you got passive cameras out and you flooded it with corn, you're probably not really going to see that the, the, the natural background movement patterns, you know, you're going to, you're going to be pulling deer to these faded sites. So it didn't do a whole lot, um, with, with those comparisons and didn't really want to use, didn't want to build our model off of that time period. And so we kind of pushed it out into October when fawns were really on their feet, um, and, and we were getting a lot of movement and that, that was kind of the period that we focused on to actually estimate, uh, our, our deer herd, um, structure from, uh, sort of that October window.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. You you still got the bait sites in there. It's, it's going to influence, influence their movement. I, I only ask, at, cause I, I was just curious, you know, if, if running both of those, if, if there was a tendency, if there were certain deer that maybe you know, only showed up on bait or maybe they That's you know avoided question. the bait and only showed up on your, your passive cameras. Yep. That, that is a
0: good question. Um, you know, I, I know we would have unique them, but if it, if it's there, it didn't stand out to me uh, enough for me to kind of chase that rabbit hole. But, but I see exactly what you're getting at. And cause that, you know, that in itself is one of the issues with the baited camera survey. Um, well you, you don't know if you're, you're some, Some groups and some studies suggest adding a 10% to your final estimate on that bait camera survey in case you're missing some of those books. Um, But the other issue is, you know, you get subordinates that are just going to be kicked off of these bait piles, and they may be uh, camera shy at that point to even come to them. And So you can get uh, some social dynamics going on there that, that can exclude some deer from actually coming to these bait piles. Um, so that, that is a good question on, you know, what do you, what are you really missing? Are you capturing the, the full picture, uh, on the beta camera survey? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that, that was, that was my questions on what, what you had run through there so far, but yeah, you, you can, uh, kind of dive back into where okay. you were headed as far as the results and stuff.
0: Gotcha. Good deal. Um, well, I kind of, kind of move into sort of another, uh, subset of, um, Sort of a side study that we did uh, with all this data that we're collecting, just a different chapter there uh, um, for, for the research project. But um, so to kind of hone down on that, uh, for one of the seasons, I had the cameras. You know, I was running baited cameras in in September for that uh, for that preseason survey, and then following that with those passive cameras throughout the entirety of the deer season. So basically, October through December with passes and preseason September with baited. Um, and I started noticing something as we were entering the data and started looking at playing with the data a little bit. Um, but I started noticing that our, our beta camera survey data, we had images, um, you know, once everything was done and entered and we actually had the data in hand, we got to start kind of kind of playing with it a little bit. Um, but I noticed that all the bugs were kind of showing up on one set of cameras and all the does were showing up on a, a different set of cameras. Um, and so, you know, we've known that this, this sexual segregation is, is um, it's been documented in the past. And, and you know, so we know and what I mean by that, you know, um, bucks are going to, are typically hanging out in one area of, of the landscape and those are going to be using a, a different part of the habitat. Um, and, and it has been documented and there are several reasons to explain this, this period of, of complete segregation. Um. And we can, we can get into those uh, a, a little bit if you want to. Um, um, but basically, there's differences in, uh, well, there, there's a few different theories, and it all kind of plays together here. Um, those, the, the, there being a difference in nutritional requirements of bucks and does uh, may be a part of the puzzle here, why we see them completely separate. Um, we've got does that are lactating and nursing fawns. Uh, it's a very demanding time period. They're going to be really drawn down, especially if they're nursing twins or, or triplets. Um, we've all seen those drawn down does uh, moving in, moving into the, to the fall and winter. Um, and uh, and bucks are just going to be growing bone during this time period. So, so there may be slightly different foraging needs, and they may be seeking out the differences in, in, in the habitats on the landscape. Um, but couple that with, you know, predation risk. Uh, that's going to be another big one. Does are, are going to want to avoid areas that um, increase their chances of a coyote or, or predator snatching up a fawn. So They're going to want to be able to see, uh, whereas bucks simply might just be picking the best area and aren't really concerned. Maybe they just want concealment, um, whereas a doe is going to want to be able to see. Uh, they want to be able to see that predator coming. And so. Maybe they're choosing that on the landscape coupled with differences in nutritional requirements. Uh, and then there's just social factors. Um, you know, their bucks are off doing their thing in bachelor groups and those are hanging out with their family groups, raising uh, So Maybe they're just not completely not interested in each other and want to stay away from each other. Um, so that's kind of what the things, you know, that, this is kind of how the structure of the deer herd looks like in, in spring and summer and kind of getting close to fall. That they're going to be, completely separated on the landscape now um the the and and, you know this is not an unknown thing this is this is something that's been well documented in the past um but it does kind of raise the question of what um what does that mean for our pre-season camera surveys right if we've got these uh, segregated populations that are that does and bucks are just completely not not mingling right now, and we know what's about to happen. We know what's coming um, with, with with fall on, on, uh, uh, in in view there and, and moving into the breeding season. Um, and, and so, what I ended up doing um, is is basically developing uh, heat maps, uh, and, and there's just kind of uh you know. Red and blue, warm warmer colors, red colors are going to tell me this is where I'm getting the most uh, buck pictures, and, and blue colors, cooler colors are going to tell me where I'm getting the least amount of buck pictures. And I can do that with both. um Bucks and does. And, and, and it was just very, very clear from, from the maps we were generating off of these beta camera surveys that... Um, um the, the, these populations were indeed, uh, very segregated and, and we had sites where there were only bugs and we had sites that were only those and, and it kind of just, uh, split it down the middle uh, of some of these camera grids. So then I thought, well, w- what, what happens as we move forward, you know, um, and we get into deer season, what does this look like? So I took our passive camera data from October, November, December, and, and did the same thing. And, um. And what what we really noticed when we did that, and this is just, again, observation data, Um, we're just kind of looking at it. We don't really have a causation here. We can speculate. But we saw uh, does didn't really change a lot. You know, where we were getting a lot of does before deer season, we were still getting a lot of does um, during deer season. Um, But that really wasn't the case for the bucks. Um, As we saw fall uh, approaching here, uh, into October, we started getting a little bit of mixing. Bucks started kind of, you know, different areas of the camera grid starting started to be hot spots for the bucks. And eventually when we got to November, December, uh, um, we saw complete overlap. So we saw sort of bucks migrate away from their area into those high dough, um, those high dough spots within that camera grid. Um, and again, this is just, you know, observation. And so it, what it looks, it appears to be to us is um, these bucks are actually moving. Uh, once once the breeding season approaches, they're kind of moving into those areas uh, of higher uh, doe abundance. And so where we were getting a lot of does, we now started getting a lot of bug pictures. And, and that's just kind of one part of the story there. Um, kind of making us think that, that bucks are, are likely seeking out these areas and and again, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this on the scale of a month. Now, I'm not looking at this during a one week, two week, three week. This is all just you know, every picture with, within each month of the deer season. Right. So we're we're pulling all that data together compared to just that two week beta camera survey.
1: Um, yeah. The, this, the, <clears throat> this part was, was fascinating to me because, you know, I've seen, I've seen the hit the heat maps. If, if mm-hmm. you're uh for th- for those who are listening, uh, James wrote an article on on his research here that'll be in the summer issue of Quality Whitetails, and it includes those heat maps. and, and man, I was just I was blown away by how segregated those those does and bucks were uh, pre season. I mean, you could just about draw a line between <laughs> between the yeah, two yeah. of them. No kidding. Um, yeah. you know, very little overlap. And then, of course, you know it, it makes sense. You would expect as as the rut approaches a. Uh, where the does are, the, the bucks will be. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, it was, it was really interesting and there's definitely some, you know, some take home there for, for deer hunters, especially, you know, early season. If, you know, if, if all your cameras are picking up our does you, your cameras are probably in the wrong area for bucks, but, you know, later in the season, you, you better yeah. remember where those toes were that's exactly right yeah know, that's that's where the bucks are going to be, so yeah that was that was some pretty cool stuff those those maps really you know it's one thing to read it, but when you look at those heat maps and and get to right physically see it that's that was interesting yeah
0: you, you can really tell you know it kind of throws a curveball at you you know you're sitting there looking at this preseason survey and you're thinking you're going to be down here hunting this is where all the bucks are you know and then by the time the you know, November gets here it's it's they've done a one eighty on you and they're they're on the other side. <laughs> so uh, yeah. yeah, it was really neat to
1: see that. Um Yeah, and how how many times have have you heard that story, you know, of hunters are they're running trail cameras or maybe, you know, if they're in an area where they can glass, you know, bean fields and that kind of stuff, but you know, they're they're seeing this good buck, watching this good buck, just waiting for season to open and then, you know, the season gets there and ooh, <laughs> he's gone. Where'd he go? Exactly and, right. Uh, yeah, and this again, uh, it just kinda goes to show that that shift you can physically yeah. see that shift happening in these in those heat maps. Yeah,
0: and actually see it. Yeah. I mean it, it happens to me just about every season here on the on, oh, yeah. family <laughs> farm, you know, we get I, I'm just on this side of the farm that, that we get, you know, bachelor groups that stack up. You know, you'll have eight bucks hanging out all summer, have a few good ones in there. And then just, you know, day by day, the closer you get to opening day, it just starts to dwindle and dwindle. <laughs> You know, until eventually you still got a few hanging out, but you know, where all the bucks go? Uh, uh that's kind of kind of the story of my season. But uh yeah. um, um so uh you know, kinda of going along with this, um um we also you know, aside from just counting all the bucks and does and then creating those heat maps, we also sat down and unique to every buck. And and so this is kinda of where things get fun as well. Um and so we unique to every buck on on the baited survey to get those estimates, um, but we also did it on the passive camera. So every time we got a buck, and I'm telling you, it is challenging on those passive cameras. I had, I've got one really cool set of, a set of pictures where you know an eight point, you know, three year old starts out kind of, he, he's dropped his velvet and he's he's getting around a little bit, and I'm picking him up on passive cameras, and, and by the time the end of December gets here, he's He's busted up and he's really changed, you know. And so it becomes a real challenge comparing, you know, it, it, it's pretty straightforward and unique in bucks on on a beta camera survey when they're either just on the end of having velvet and they haven't started fighting. Everything looks pristine and you can really pick them apart. But man, they they really do a number on themselves um, uh, throughout throughout the rut and all that. So it it, it was a challenge, uh, um, unique in all these deer, but. But I kind of break down what we saw within this camera grid um, that, that I presented in the article there, and, and the research we published um, actually contains uh, several sites, um, and we kind of saw the story play out. Some, some not as much as others, um, um, but certainly there's a, a re- redistribution on the landscape, um, and we can get into that in a little bit. Kind of all the all the different things that we know of and can think of why why deer sort of sort of change it up on us. Um, but kind of starting out in, in that beta camera survey, um, ju- just as my exam- example site here, we ended up having 68 bucks on that preseason survey uh, in in that Jones Center Itchway uh, research site, um, and and that again this is 2,500 acres here. 68 u- unique bucks on, on that preseason survey. Um, moving forward into those passive cameras, October, November, December surveys, uh, we ended up redetecting about 70 percent of those, so we had um ended up with about 70 percent that we actually saw again on those passive cameras um but the cool part was we actually picked up 43 new bucks on those passive trail cameras that we never had on, on baited surveys and these aren't and i'm not trying to fool you with spikes and things like that you know you know these are um i've got um, of several you know, slides that i presented in the past with, with all of these mature deer that were just very obvious, you're not going to mistake them. These deer were not here during those baited camera surveys. Um, and so 43 new bucks, and, and so that's around a 60% increase in the number of bucks compared to what we ID'd uh, um, prior to the season beginning. So we added about 60% more bucks to that, to that unique buck list uh, for this 2,500 acres and and we detected about 90 total bucks on passive cameras so we started out at 68 lost some gained some ended up at around 90 total for the deer season um and so it was really cool to see that turnover um and 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 really actually visualize it you know we've got our heat maps we know there's redistribution going on um here's what the buck numbers look like And, and so um we're these baby camera surveys are great to start us off, especially, you know, if you're a bow hunter getting on there in on day one, but a lot of things are going to happen um, um, during, during that deer season. Um, yeah. So, so these, these bug populations are very dynamic uh, and they can go through again, these, these complete redistributions on the landscape as the breeding season gets here and the breeding season for this, this research site, Southwest Georgia is kind of an oddball uh, uh, for the state. It is, a very late rut. Um, we're talking first week of December kind of rut week down there, um, versus, you know, first, second, third week of of November for most of the state. Um, and so during that breeding season, you know, we see, we see a big change of, um, there are a lot of things that, that can cause redistribution, especially prior to that, you know, in October, um, we're seeing hard mass come online. So we get these big acorn drops, um, you are going to be seeking those out. And so, that, you know, the velvet's off, um, the bachelor groups are breaking up, and, and a lot of things are going to happen during the fall and moving into the winter. Um, and, and so, you know, I guess kind of the moral to, to that story is, you know, kind of be on your toes, and um, you really never know what's going to show up. You might be in better shape having a high dough density area, uh, prior to deer season, you know, especially if you're going to wait until till gun
1: season opens up. Yeah, yeah, it just goes to show you don't you can't don't get too discouraged by those you know early season trail camera photos if you aren't seeing the the bucks that you hope to see because yep. like yep. you said yeah. they Absolutely. never know what might show up.
0: You never know. That's exactly right. Um, and, and a cool story from down there, we had. Um, <clears throat> Uh, this, this story that people were seeing this, this giant double drop time, um, buck on, on site. And, and so I started kind of digging into the, to the pictures and I found him on three different, um, passive cameras and, um, ne- never, never saw him before this, you know, it was kind of, he hung out for a couple of weeks and he ended up getting harvested, um, within that camera grid. And he, he went, golly, I think he went 180 something like that. Um, and so from a, from a bug that no one knew about to just here he is, you know, so uh, you really do never know um, what, what's really going to show up um, um, after sort of that re- redistribution. So, you know, that, those preseason surveys are great and they give us a way to track trends over time, um, but they really are just giving us a snapshot of what things look like um, during the, the, the end of the summer there not, not so much what we're really going to see during the peak of deer season.
1: Right. So I guess, uh, you know, running and running all those cameras, those passive cameras, um, and choosing all these different locations, what, uh, what kind of tips would you have in that area as far as, you know, if if you're in a situation where, you know, you can't put out bait to, to run cameras, um, like, you know, I hunt a lot of public lands, so obviously mm-hmm. I can't go out there with bait and, and put it out in front of my camera. So I have to try to find the, you know, these best locations to intercept deer. Uh, what, what are some, some tips you've learned from, from all the work you've done with passive cameras?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, finding those movement corridors, uh, th- those transition zones, you know, if you're, if you're on the edge of a planted pond plantation and then, and then you've got, you know, a hardwood draw or, or, Dropping down at the bottoms, you know, those are are awesome places. Um, I love running cameras on, especially for the rut on um, low use roads. I mean, I'm talking like you know, grass covered roads. Um, bucks, we'll work them um, to to seek out those does. Um, they're just kind of scenting everything, just just moving back and forth. So um, I enjoy those types of trails. Um, they'll they'll get on those man made trails and, and, and run them like crazy. Cause we did have a certain portion. Um, of those passive cameras on low-use roads, uh, and, and I was kind of surprised at, at how many bucks we were picking up in there. Um, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, really, you know, kind of flooding the landscape, if you will. And and, and we do um, we we do a little little public land camera running as well. Um, and we'll get up there and, and we'll. we'll we do some saddle hunting and so we'll take our one stick out there and we'll get up, you know, a few feet off the ground just to get our cameras uh, out of people's sight, you know, line of sight. But, um, but getting out there and really getting cameras out, hitting hard um, and remembering that data from one year to the next is really a big key. You know, what you see one year is, is is likely going to play out again um, um, when you find those hot spots. you know, remembering where you were seeing those earlier on uh, because that's where your bucks are, are, are typically going to try to find them again. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I can kind of dig into sort of a um, w- what we did on, uh, on my buddy's place um, that this, this past deer season, if you want me to kind of go down into that story to kind of bring it down to a smaller, smaller acreage, kind of a, a, a realistic set of, of ideas that, that we kind of jumped on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That would be good. I was going to kind of have you, um, or, or just really ask how how these cameras play into your own, you know, personal strategy, hunting strategy, and 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 monitoring strategy. So yeah, that that would be great. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, and I pretty much transitioned to cell cameras at this point. Um, uh, the, you know, the the price on them is 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 good now. Um, I started, and I, I picked up Spartan go cam probably 2014 or so and that was my first and this one was i don't think they even had an app back then but it would send you a text you know um and uh or send it send it to your email things like that but they've really come a long ways and the price has come down a lot so um i'm addicted to um to these cell cameras oh, I yeah. love, you know i love I, I get up in the morning and get a cup of coffee and i'm not I'm not looking at Instagram or TikTok or whatever. I'm I'm, I'm seeing what's going on in the woods, you know. Um, there you go. And so it, it's just been a lot of fun, fun playing with those, and and, and you know, and I know there's some there's some um, contention there. There's some there's some you know fair chase issues going on, kind of floating around a little bit. And and I and I get it, you know. At some point, you know, where is that line where where we're throwing too much technology uh, um, at, at, at hunting, but but anyways, not not to kind of deviate there. Um, and so, um, uh, musician Brantley Gilbert and I grew up together, um, hunting and fishing, camping um, as kids. You know, our our parents were were friends in high school, so we go way back. Really tight knit community there. Um, I eventually went off to college, and and Brantley obviously ended up in Nashville. <laughs> um, but we reconnected a few years ago, and um, you know, he told me he was looking to buy a farm in North Georgia. And he called me last summer and said he finally found one, um, not too far away, and just just a really amazing piece of property. Um, it's kind of a gem gem for the area. Um, but Brantley's vision for the deer and turkey were kind of kind of right up my alley. Um, so we've we've been kind of going at it nonstop uh, ever since he purchased it. And kind of keeping everything in house as far as the management goes you know they're all very hands on over there between Brantley, his dad and brother. Uh, it's been a lot of fun and I'm really excited to see how far we can we can take it uh, uh, over there and, and and before we you know got too deep into it, we started putting together our food plot program and and all that good stuff um you know I threw out the idea let let's just see what the structure of the deer herd looks like here and, and it's about a three hundred seventy five acre property. And so we set up a, a baited camera survey. Went pretty high uh, um, camera density for it. And, you know, I, on on a first run for me, I like to go thick with cameras. Um, I want to find every nook and cranny I can. And, and so, um, so we were running about one camera, one baited camera per 50 acres, which is probably going to inflate our doe estimate there a little bit. It it, it ended up being a pretty dough heavy pro- property, but you know, I, I just I've seen it too many times where, um, and, and I'll step back a little bit and say, you know, that that 60% turnover that we saw in new bucks is gonna is gonna vary from from one property to the next, and, um, and and there and there are several things that that are gonna cause that variation. You know, you may get more, you might get less, but landscape connectivity is really gonna be one of the bigger keys here to, uh, to the puzzle uh, when it comes to figuring out how many new bucks you might encounter during the season. Um, and so what I mean by that is, um, you know, how, how fragmented is the surrounding habitat or, uh, around your hunting property? Um, are you, are your boundaries, rivers, um, um highways, that kind of thing, cause that's going to influence how bucks are going to move and navigate the landscape. And, and I'll give you an example. Um, from one of the properties in, in South Georgia where we had a bunch of GPS callers out, you could see, um, you know, on, this, on, the, on the Jones Center site, we had, you know, 20 that plus thousand acres of contiguous longleaf savannas and, and, and hardwood bottoms. And, and there really wasn't a lot chopping that property up. So we had a lot of, a lot of room for movement, um, nothing really impeding the deer's movement um jump about uh, an hour up the road to another research site where we had gps callers out the property had the flint river on one side uh a, a big highway on on the opposite side on the east there flint river on the west and a highway to the north and it was kind of shaped like a triangle so it pinched down where the the flint river and the highway almost came together and you could look at the gps points there these deer had really tight tight home ranges. Um, and, and the manager was just, uh, uh exceptional. Um, a- absolutely, you know, hundreds of acres of food flosses, just, just an amazing property. And, um, but the deer just stacked. I mean, it, he might as well have had a high fence. Um, I mean, <laughs> the GPS collar would go to the highway and stop, you know, and turn around. They would go to the, go to the river and stop and turn around. Um, we had, uh, 13 bucks there that had collars on. We had one jump to flint, um, for a day and came back. Um, and and I think we ended up seeing about 28% increase compared to the beta surveys. And so, you know, 30% there versus 60% in the, in the contiguous landscape where there really weren't boundaries. And so I'm just kind of saying all this because, you know, you got to kind of think about what your surroundings look like for, for the the property that you're hunting to kind of get an idea of of, of how much movement you're going to see. And so, um, but, you know, jumping back to Brownlee's farm, uh, uh, we ended up running that baited camera survey, and, and, and I say all that because anywhere there's a creek, I'm going to try to get a camera. I, I've seen deer where you get totally different sets, two different bachelor groups using opposite sides of the creek. I mean, it's just, they're just funny like that sometimes. And so um, we went pretty heavy on, on that first beta camera survey run, but we ended up with 23 bucks um, before deer season. Um, and after that, so we, we ran around seven cameras or so for that beta camera survey on, on those 400 acres. Um, and after that, we, we ended up purchasing some more cameras. And um, I think Brantley had around 15 cameras or so that 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 we sort of flooded the landscape with, ran a lot of them passively. And so we were just looking for deer trails, looking for uh, um, old road beds and, and things like that, um, kind of looking at terrain and seeing how deer are going to move. Uh, Move, move around the property and really getting cameras out there um, and so we we basically doubled it about what i did for the research so we, we doubled the the cameras there on his property um, and, and then started keeping track of all of these new bucks that show up um, and these are all cell cameras and, and it's kind of amazing you know how how much more convenient it is if you're just looking to collect data on your deer herd you know this was more of an observation year for us Uh, um you know brantley was on tour a lot and and you know i could tell by talking to him that you know since we just completely reshaped this habitat with uh, you know protein feeders and 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 all in on food plots we just kind of wanted to sit back and and make it an observation year and see what happens to this deer herd. So let's do a camera survey and let's come back and do it again next year and kind of see where we're at and see if we held on to a few more bucks you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, um, and so during this, we decided we're going to keep track of every new buck that showed up kind of like I did for the research. And, um, and it's kind of amazing with some of these cell cameras, you know, the app that we're using, lets us folder things right then and there. And so I'd get up to to, uh, so you get that real-time data, and that's going to let you. It's just way more convenient than going out and collecting the card, and then having to sift through all those photos. You, you know, you're seeing it right there. How many ever pictures a night, or in the morning, or or, or whatever. Um, it just really simplifies that process. So we were able to folder these books right in the app um, from from the cell cameras. And half the time, I'd get up in the morning and and grab a cup of coffee and start looking at what was there, and then. All of a sudden, notice you know, Brantley's already got these things folded, and so it was kind of a collaborative effort there um, uh, from us. And and it's been a blast, kind of working with somebody that's kind of on that upper intensity level when it comes to to kind of reaching for our goals here. Um, um, But anyway, all that said and done, we we ended out the deer season with um, I believe it was thirteen new bucks uh, or fourteen new bucks that showed up uh, on, on his property, and again, I'm excluding. Uh, spikes here um, just for the sake of let's not argue on if these are the same deer or not because so that, that will happen. <laughs> and so these are all branch antlers, uh you know, two and a half or older um, um, cohort of deer that, that are showing up on this property. And even, you know, the highest, uh, um, by our estimate, the highest netting deer um, showed up during deer season and hung around for a few weeks. So it was really cool to just kind of, you know, go, go from this unique buck list before deer season and then flood it with cameras uh, during deer season and then just really keep track and, and get an idea of how much movement there is around your property and it ended up being around 60 percent, so about what we saw on that research site um kind of played out again on a much smaller scale um so just a, a lot of fun running those cameras and really trying to Keep track of, of of everybody, getting to know everybody, and then you know it'll be fun doing it again next year and seeing you know we're, we're gonna you know keep the same names <laughs> so so we're gonna know who they are. Oh yeah,
1: that's, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's, that's, that's funny. That's you're funny talking about, about the uh, as far as the property layout and and how that affects you know all this and and your your uh, turn rate, I guess. Or yeah, uh, yeah. Because again, again, going back to, you know, just the 15 acres I have here, it's the way it's set up. And and I'd like to tell you that, you know, that's why I bought it because it was intentional, <laughs> but it, it just worked out that way. But it backs up close to a four lane highway. Got and then, of course, out my house is on the property. Out in front is, you know, the road we live on. They kind of run parallel. And so you got houses and stuff up and down the road. And, and so you really you're left with this this woody corridor that parallels the the main highway there. And so, you know, pre-season and, and into early season, I'll have my cameras out. And, you know, I might have two or three different bucks, you know, showing sure. up on the camera, a handful of does. But man, it, it it's crazy. I've been here, this will I guess be the four I think I've ran three years of trail cameras here. I, I was running a trail camera on it before I bought it. Um but anyway, every year, you know, late October through about you know, mid to, to late November, it, it's just amazing how many different bucks I'll have show up on this small property, oh, you know, yeah. during that course of time. And a lot of times it may only be one appearance they make, or it sure. might be, you know, sure. two or three days and then they're gone. But, uh, Absolutely. man, it, yep. it's, yeah, it, it really, um, <laughs> you know, I haven't crunched the numbers as far as, you know, total yes. unique yeah. deer preseason versus during season, but sure. uh-huh. it's it's a significant uptick, you know, during those, those few weeks of, oh, of pre-rut yeah. and rut. Yep.
0: Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. And, you know, we know they, even the GPS data we collected, but there's been a lot of studies that have looked at, um, you know, bucks are expanding those home ranges. and So that's, you know, if you've got the movement corridors, you're going to see them, um, when they start, you know, getting in those seeking patterns, start looking for those does, um, and it's it's interesting too because you know there's all there's also the flip side of that um, you know we had a really good buck um, again it was more of an observation year for us uh, over there on Brantley's farm but um, there there were two bucks that that were old enough and um, one of them was 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 a really unique deer and um, you know we said if we were in the stand with with a bow and a camera and, and they gave us an opportunity then we were going to take it um, uh, which we we never did get that opportunity but um, One of the, one of the really, the deer I'm talking about, we named him Mule. He's got a giant split, um, um, right G2 kind of looks like a mule deer's antler, uh, set. And, um, and, and we were really excited about him. Just a really cool looking deer. He's almost a unicorn buck too. You know, he had a, he had sort of that, that center growth bone mass right, right there between the, the antlers. So just really unique deer. And, and, um. You know, by by the time deer season got there, and then after a few weeks, he just started dwindling out and uh, and, and said, see you later. And uh, and so that's kind of the flip side, right? Because you've got, um, you know, you've got new bucks coming in, but you're also going to have this redistribution. You're going to lose bucks. And and it's it's happened to me plenty of times, um, you know, losing deer. And then all of a sudden, uh, next spring, look you know, I just found his shit. So I know he's, he's around, <laughs> but, but he wasn't there all deer season. Um, and then oh, yeah. you know, we had a, we had another really old buck on, on the property that, um, what was kind of the other shooter, um, there and, uh, you know, big suede back and, and he stuck, he planted himself on, centered himself on that farm and, and really just didn't go anywhere. Um, you know, he was a real mature deer, had a really small home range, big suede back on him. Um, and we kind of watched watched him on a feeder all, all all winter, and and spring started approaching, and we're just kind of waiting for him to drop antlers so we can go find him. And um, he finally showed up. You know, you could just tell it was him uh, sitting there in front of the camera, and about 20 yards away, we picked up both of the sheds that he dropped right there. And so some bucks just aren't going to go anywhere, and, and this is one of those one of those cases where he just. He's he's an older deer and and he's he's just he's just interested in food, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's yeah. not going to go anywhere. So you really never know how it's going to play
1: out. Uh, no, no, that's for sure. Yeah, n- not not to get too far off track, but what we were talking about you know technology and stuff earlier, and these cameras, man, as, as fast as things are happening with artificial intelligence. Yeah. I got to believe it's only a matter of time before these cameras you won't even have to worry about doing all that sorting, you know. It'll just all okay. be yep. sorted yep. by you by buck and, you know.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um and, and it's getting closer and closer. Um there are some that there are a few uh, um platforms now that that can with a high degree of certainty tease apart, you know, things like false triggers and um and and separates by species and so so that's kind of where i see the 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 highlight of it right now where we're currently at um and and it's it's been a little while since i've really dug into it Um, we do cover some of it in in our camera trapping course that we offer um but just getting rid of false triggers in a big data set is huge i mean oh yeah Yeah. and very uh very accurate um there um we're getting to the point where we're, we're close to teasing apart bucks, does, and fawns. Um, we're just not quite there yet. I think it's just going to take, you know, that much more training and, and, and more iterations and versions of, of these, uh, image recognition models, but we're getting pretty dang close, uh, to that. And I'm ready for them to be able to, you know, unique deer for me. You know, let me like, oh, yeah. Yeah. give you a set of bucks and you tell me how many there are. You know, yeah. Eventually, you're right. We're gonna we're gonna wake up and not not count deer. We're gonna look at an app that's already got it all plotted. For yeah, they'll be sorted uh,
1: into folders for you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But going going here you're talking about false triggers, and and earlier talking about the original big mole trees or whatever. Man, that that was the worst. You take that that film man, of course you could only get, you know, 24 or 36 pictures at a yeah, time yeah, be anyway, honest. because, because of the, because of the film, right. you take it in there to get it processed and go to pick it up. You know, you'd have like 24 pictures of a branch blown in the wind and maybe, <laughs> maybe one, maybe one yeah. deer picture. That's
0: exactly right. One afternoon of a branch.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we, we've right. come a long way on those. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah. It's kind of amazing seeing, seeing how quick, and it's kind of interesting too, because you know, the first, Ever, what we'll call a trail camera, what was developed in the late 1800s. So wasn't that, wasn't that long after we had a portable camera did somebody say, how can I get it wildlife to trigger this thing without me being there? So um, you know, kind of stagnated there for a little bit, and then all of a sudden, you know, the 90s, it just just an explosion uh, uh, in, of the technology. And um, man, I, I don't know where we're headed, but but it, <laughs> it, it, it is it's, it's exciting. Kind um, of kind of seeing all this play out and. You know, I love that um, the, the the flash on those those old Moultrie's. It's hard to find those real incandescent flashes anymore. Um, oh but yeah. I, but I am, um, and I I do love a good nighttime color photo. Uh, I, I wish more manufacturers would would kind of kind of offer those types of models because um, I I am a fan of them. Um, and and I know there's some debate there versus IR versus flash and 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 whether they're spooking deer or not, you know, uh, which is which is interesting, kind of a subtopic there.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, any uh, as we kind of wrap things up here, I guess any any final tips as far as you know things you've learned about running trail cameras that might be you know applicable to the to the average listener here.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, keeping those cameras out, keeping them running, um, trying to find those movement corridors and and, and focusing on those if you're running passive cameras um it's fun you know if if it's not a there's no legal issue there it's fun to just kind of bounce bait around as well um you know you you i've i've had deer come on passive cameras you know 50 yards from a bait pile and they're just not finding it so so really just kind of moving things around um and, and really um, I'm trying to survey as much as you can w- with what you've got to use. is it, it, really important there, especially when you get closer to the rut. You know, we had, um, some really nice deer show up for, like you said, they'll, some of them will show up for a day or two. And so being ready and being able to identify when they're there and, um, and, and other bucks might stick around for, for a month or two, um, throughout the, uh, sort of the tail end of the deer season there. Um, but, but definitely um, keeping the cameras out. You know, I know a lot of people that'll do preseason baited camera surveys and then just hang their cameras on a feeder. Um, to me, you know, most of the fun stuff happens off feeder. Um, you know, you're going to get a lot of nighttime stuff, but really trying to figure out um, uh, where those deer are, where how they're using your property. I'm convinced that whoever can get closest to the bedding is going to be the one that's going to to harvest that deer. And so, um, you know, if you've got a good buck coming in at 2 a.m. constantly, try to backtrack, you know, put out cameras in sort of an array fashion around if you've got a feeder up and that's where he's coming, try to figure out that movement pattern and you can eventually hone it down, you know, without getting too aggressive, but you can kind of get to the point where, once you identify his, his his primary bedding, then then it's it's game on from there. Um, uh, so that that kind of stuff's really fun to me. Um, really, just kind of bouncing cameras around. I try not to get too aggressive with it or check them too often, um, but I will. You know, if, if I'm not seeing what 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 I think I should be seeing within a week or so, I'm going to go in there and move, and, and read make some adjustments um, and, and move them around.
1: Yeah, yeah, I have to do that a lot. Being, you know again primarily hunting public land. And mm-hmm. Most most of the tracks are, you know, that I'm hunting are, are pretty good size. And of course, you know, I'm I'm dealing with a limited number of cameras. I'm I'm yep. uh unfortunately can't afford to buy all the ones I'd like to have, but yeah, you know, so I'm dealing with limited number of cameras. So yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I constantly try to keep those things moving around. Yep, yep. And keep them just out there moving. Covering as much ground as I can. That's it. All you gotta do
0: is find
1: them once and figure them out, right? That's right. <laughs> Easier said than done, but yeah, yeah that's yeah. <laughs> I
0: mean, it does not always work out. I can tell you that. It doesn't matter how many, you know. for for some reason I can throw all the technology of the world at it, still not, not make it happen.
1: <laughs> yeah. That, well, that, yeah, that's right. That's why you keep coming back. Exactly
0: right. Well,
1: well James, man, I, I appreciate it. Appreciate you coming on the podcast to talk uh trail cameras with us. I know it's getting that time of year. I'm I'm getting excited about deer season, ready to Ready to get some cameras out and oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, start watching them them absolutely. deer grow.
0: Yeah, We're starting to see some brow times develop now, you know, so it's getting it's getting exciting.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Getting closer. Yeah, man, it'll uh, every time this year, you know, ter- this time of year turkey season ends and you start exactly. preparing for deer season and man, it just seems like in the blink of an eye it's it's here. It's it's, it's on you. Yeah. So yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well I appreciate you having me inviting me on, Brian. It was good chatting with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. That wraps up our interview with Dr. James Johnson. Uh, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 Podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, and and several more. So about anywhere you could listen to uh listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there. Uh, Or you can just go to DeerAssociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, Hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us uh, climb the the podcasting charts and be more visible to uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website again at DeerAssociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. And uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of of free content right there on our website covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. Uh, If it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast, the podcast where deer season never ends.